small desire, knowing satisfaction, enjoying tranquility. Now, I wanted to read you just this one part where Dogen talks about, Dogen Zenji talks about uh, enjoying tranquility because it's a very unusual passage. You'll see what I mean in terms of our everyday life or even in terms of Dogen's normal readings. And the Buddha said, if you bhikkhus wish to pursue tranquility and unintentional peace and joy, you should depart from noise and live alone in seclusion. People of quiet places are revered alike by the god chakra and all the gods. For this reason, you should abandon your own groups and other groups, live alone in an empty space, and think of dissolving the root of suffering. Those who take pleasure in groups suffer many troubles, like a flock of birds gathering on a great tree and then worrying that it will wither or break. Those fettered by and attached to the world are immersed in many kinds of suffering, like an old elephant drowning in mud, unable to get out by itself. This is called distancing. So the part I really, why I was really thinking of this is because I've often been drawn to this idea of um, departing from noise and living alone in seclusion. Um, that's pretty difficult for most of us. And I no longer aspire to that practice. But I was struck by the issue of departing from noise. Where I live, um, we're in a fly path. So 79 planes pass overhead every day. And one of the neighbors in our area, uh, we have a kind of a, there's a email group for the neighborhood. And um, one of the neighbors sent around a link called uh, Stop Jet Noise. And this neighbor wanted us all to start using this link, Stop Jet Noise, to report the noise of the jets. And so I, I do find the jet noise kind of annoying. Sometimes it wakes me up in the middle of the night. It can be very loud in the middle of the night. So one day I, I used this Stop Chet Noise app. And in just a few hours in the afternoon while I was gardening, I registered 49 different planes and reported 79 different planes. And it's an interesting app because to tell you the height at which the plane is flying and the flight number, the airline, and what its origin origin and destination is so you have all this information so I became actually a little bit captivated by this idea now that these noisy planes that are flying overhead are coming from Taipei and Hong Kong and Melbourne but also from Bakersfield and uh, maybe Sacramento even it's possible you never know 
so uh, the conversation about this jet noise link went back and forth. And um, finally, one of one of my neighbors came on and he said, most of you are not going to like what I have to say. But for me, this is way too nimby, way too not in my backyard. And he told us in his email that 1,300 planes fly into San Francisco every day and another 500 into San Jose. And we only have 79 of them every day and that our neighbor cities of East Palo Alto and Mountain View shoulder most of the burden. When you put it like that, it was very, um, I, I felt, well, that's putting it in perspective, not in my backyard. These are residents of my neighborhood who are flying overhead. But I relay this to you because it's an example of how different our life is from the time of Shakyamuni Buddha. I don't know if in the background you can hear the planes flying overhead now, but I hear them. I think perhaps last time I I was with you, I mentioned that I sometimes find, I, sh I shouldn't say sometimes, well, sometimes it's because I don't all the time, but I fairly frequently find life kind of terrifying to be alive in this, uh, in, in short, I forget that it's a movie. I get too caught up in the movie and I have to return to the plain white screen. I have to return to the plain white screen. But I do that by simply by sitting zazen, simply by sitting zazen. But as you know, we talk about many things. We talk about koans. Darlene is going to talk about a koan and your half day sitting. And uh, we reflect on sutras. In our priest group with Reb right now, we're beginning to reflect on the Avatamsaka Sutta Sutra. I sometimes think, though, that um, just as sutras like the Avatamsaka Sutra and others emerged much, much later than the historical Buddha, perhaps they were written in China somewhere, they were written somewhere by one or more people, Perhaps, perhaps we need our own sutras. In the Avatamsaka Sutra talks about the inner penetration of phenomena and phenomena. Everything is totally interpenetrating everything else. Something like that.
through studying it, one perhaps gets some sense of this some uh, somewhat altered state of consciousness from real from reading it. For myself, when I think about it, I think about I, I, I like to go back to the early teachings, but then in my mind, I, I, I expand on them in the present. For example, in the four foundations of mindfulness, mindfulness of the body, there's a section you may remember where the Buddha talks about examining the body from the top of the head to the soles of the feet as if one were ex examining um, so many kinds of beans and rice in a sack. This is hair, this is nails, this is blood, this is spleen, this is intestines, this is feces, this is skin, this is teeth. And he goes through I don't know, 26 or 27 different body parts. And the refrain is, this is not mine. This I am not. This is not myself. So without that refrain, I reflect on it more like, hmm, this is my body, this symphony of cells, the symphony of cells, the basic unit of life. These many different cells, bacteria, viruses, Each cell made up of atoms. A large portion of the body made up of water. The atoms made up of protons and neutrons and electrons. From every direction in space, and from our sun, trillions of neutrinos, tiny particles, shoot through us. not stopping. It's very odd to think of. Does this just tell us we live in something that might be called the Higgs field? Higgs field is some sort of non-emptiness, some sort of non-emptiness 
an empty non-emptiness that has particles flittering in and out of existence all the time. The substance of our body is made of stardust, elements formed long, long ago. The death of stars, different elements were formed and splattered all over the universe. And here we are. I can't conceive of it. Can you? One has to let go. This, this Ocasa that I'm wearing, I sewed many, many years ago when I was at Green Gulch. I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe not 10 years ago, but maybe eight years ago. It's getting quite worn out. And I thought, well, I cannot sew another Ocasa right now. This is not something I can do right now. Then I started to think, really? Why can't you sew no queso right now? Why not? You just need fabric, thread, chalk pencil, ruler. So I went to Joanne's fabric and I bought some fabric and I'm sewing an Ocaso. Why? Why? Why does it matter what we wear? I don't know. I think about this sometimes because Dora Lee said, you know, I'm your teacher and I really appreciate your kind words about when I was, you know, um, that tonight I'm your teacher. I think about this a great deal. Each of you It doesn't. Each of you can experience something. Each of you reset to zero. In what way does an Ocasa make a difference? 
And yet somehow it's important for me. And so I wear it every morning. I put it on. Even though I'm just here in a house in Palo Alto, but I put it on. But I don't think it's special. Even though for me, it's, it's special. But what I mean is, I don't think that a person who doesn't have an okesa, who doesn't even have a rakasu, I don't think they cannot practice. I do not think they cannot practice as well as I practice. I do not think I am a better practitioner than they are. I do not think so. No. Our life takes turns. We go in certain directions. We're drawn towards certain things. Thirsty, thirsty. I must ordain as a priest. I must. This is the most important thing. This is my commitment. This is my commitment. Maybe what I'm saying doesn't make any sense to you. I don't know. In our world, we're facing so many challenges. And I think maybe during the Buddhist time, there were some challenges for people that we do not face. Maybe life was shorter. Maybe death was much more common. Each day has its rhythm. Within it, there are fears. Sometimes they come like, it's, it's kind of like, um, more like the Atlantic, my experience of the Atlantic. I've never had this experience with the Pacific, but I'm more familiar with it, the Atlantic of maybe if one were a surfer, maybe one would have a particular kind of experience of it. But I remember in particular in the Atlantic, just standing in the surf, and then a big wave would come and just knock you over. So it's like that. 
You check the news. Oh. Areas of Texas have had a temperature of 120 degrees today. Oh. A few weeks ago, New York City had the worst air pollution in the world. The smokes from wildfires in Canada. We see the migrants at the border. And the problem that was happening on our side of the border has just been pushed over the border into Mexico. Tonight, I'm speaking to you using my iPhone because my computer, um, the, the camera is flaking out. It, it, it wasn't working and so I switched to my iPhone. I'm telling you this because it's not like I can't afford to buy a new computer. This computer I bought at a refurbishing store in in San Rafael, I don't remember the name of it, but there's a good computer store there that recycles computers and I bought it there for $400 in maybe 2014, 2014. So it, it's, it's giving out, but I have reluctance about buying another one because the semiconductor industry is on track to double its CO2 emissions by 2035, not have them, double them. It's turning into a big source of greenhouse gases. So these are the, these are the things I consider. Small desire, small desire. Maybe I'll buy another refurbished computer. We return to the plain white screen. It was realizing what Suzuki Roshi was saying, returning to the screen, remembering the screen that enabled me to realize, oh, I can sew an okeso. This is not a problem. The problem is I'm too caught up in the movie. I forgot it's just a movie. Plain white screen is not so interesting. Sewing in Ocasa stitch by stitch. Mm.
So the eight truths of great beings, enjoying tranquility, enjoying tranquility in the midst of the planes flying overhead, Remembering the plain white screen. It's more than remembering it. It's, it's more than being the plain white screen. It's not being the plain white screen. It's not, it is remembering the plain white screen. It's kind of like a door, a door to the experience of the plain white screen that it's a movie. In a movie, planes fly overhead. It seems okay to say in a movie, planes fly overhead. If I say, in a movie, People are suffering at the border. I don't know. I don't know. It's a movie. Mm. Mm. We act within the movie. We act to alleviate suffering within the movie, to do what we can. To offer something. To offer some food, to offer some money. offer compassion, to offer our seeing, our hearing, our eyes of compassion. This year in the garden, I've seen only one monarch butterfly so far, but it was a female. And she was laying eggs as if there was no tomorrow. So every day I went out and studied those eggs have now begun to hatch. And there are small monarch caterpillars chewing on the milkweed. On top of one blossom, there's a lynx spider. I know it's a lynx spider because I took a picture of it and put it in iNaturalist 
and verified what kind of spider it is. So it's a link spider. And it's in there about three weeks. And it's sitting on a clutch of eggs. And it's the first time I've seen eggs and understood why they might be referred to as a clutch. Because the lynx spider has her legs wrapped around her clutch. She's clutching her clutch of eggs. And she's pulled down fronds of the milkweed to protect herself and her clutch of eggs. Every day I go out to see if she's still there, growing thinner. Her eggs have not hatched yet, from what I can tell. Monarch eggs only take a few days, but apparently lynx spider eggs take quite a bit longer. Every morning after Zazen, I make breakfast for myself and for my mother. And I take it to her in her bedroom and we, she sits on the edge of her bed and we eat breakfast together. A few mornings ago, she said to me, apropos of nothing, Did I flip the pancake? And I said, no, mom, you didn't. You didn't flip the pancake. And she said, is it okay? I said, yeah, mom, it's okay. It's okay. Another morning she said to me, I said to her, mom, you know, if, if you took a couple of sips of your coffee, I think it'd help you wake up. And she said, you are the one who needs to wake up. This is my second breakfast. And I said, no, mom, it's not, it's not your second breakfast, but thank you. I, I'll drink some coffee to wake up, but it's not your second breakfast. But she insisted quite a while as she ate her second breakfast than it was her second breakfast. It's the movie of life. Prigozhnev accuses Russian generals of having bombed his 
his fighters and he drives his tanks into Russia. Now he's in Belarus. All of these things are going on. The planes are flying overhead. The neutrinos are coursing through our bodies. Quite an amazing situation, don't you think? Thank you for listening to my disjointed talk. Does anyone have a comment or uh, want to share anything of their own experience? Watching, watching or reading, reading the white screen. Okay, thank you very much. Hi, Oscar. I need a little bit more volume. I'll speak louder. Um, Thank you for your talk. I don't think it was disjointed. Great. Oh, okay. Uh, or only in the same way that life is disjointed. Um, thank you for bringing so many different viewpoints and observations into into a simple talk. Um, this issue about the screen and the movie and um, remembering. Uh, I have difficulty oftentimes in remembering uh, and I wonder, uh, and I wonder if you have any advice about that. Uh, I mean, you actually you have already given some advice. <laughs> and maybe that's quite enough. But if you'd like to add anything, actually, it would be great. Thank you so much, Kathy. It's great to see you. Thank you, Oscar. I think the only thing I would add is that I share forgetting about the screen. But when I remember the screen, I realize what a jewel it is why I came to this practice. And so I it, we, we commit 
just to think of the screen. And you might try using uh, on your phone, if it ever says, on, does your phone ever say screen time? Show how much time you've been on the screen? Haven't set that option, but I, I know it. Yeah, well, it can be a reminder of screen time. The, the screen, the screen. Yeah, resetting to zero. Somehow it's easier to remember first thing in the morning. Or actually, if one is sewing an okasa, it's easier to remember. That's why, and also, like I said, the, the, the practice of just simply reciting the precepts, even in a very abbreviated form, you know, whatever is moving to you, the, the Bodhisattva's four methods of guidance or the, you know, or uh, a phrase from Genjo Koan, you know, when Dharma does not fill your whole body and mind, you think it is already sufficient. When Dharma fills the body and mind, you understand something is missing. Wow. Wow. I can reflect on that all day. And I'll reflect on it with you. Thank you. Thank you. can't see everyone on Zoom, so I don't know if there's other um, hands raised. Oh, okay. Okay. Thank you. Um, can you hear me, Kathy? I can hear you, Dorley. Okay, good. I mean, I'm just so um, moved by feeling like you sort of were like, we were like blowing in the wind with you or something. You know, through all these different moments of life, possibility, and you know, horror and beauty and everything, um, and I was—I feel like you were giving me more the gift of um, being very alert to any kind of conclusion or assumption I might make. Yeah. Like, oh, I can't so oh no, Kesa now. It's, you know, that kind of a statement that we mm -hmm. tend to make and aren't even sure we are making it. We always, mm -hmm. and then we believe it, but then to say, well, wait, why can't I? You know, we, we can keep opening up our life into new possibilities just by being alert to these assumptions and conclusions. But then even in that moment, you can't really answer, well, why am I now, you know, sewing my okasa? You know, it's it's just you're going with in this sort of place of not knowing, but but opening and moving and uh, seeing what what comes. So, thank you. Thank you, Dorley. Thank you for your comments. I appreciate them. Anyone else? Oh, Kenny. Um, 
you said something that maybe it was one of the four methods of guidance, I'm not sure, but there, you used the term identity something, and I realized I didn't know what that was. And, and then I had another question, is I think the last time you talked, you were saying that maybe you were going to get someone to be with your mother overnight because you weren't sleeping very well. Maybe, I think that was you. And then I just kind of like yeah. know whatever happened about that story. So thank you. Thank you for remembering that, Kenny. Uh, first to identity action. In Nietzsche, Dream, and Cross, uh, they, they call it cooperation. So that's another cause calls it identity action. And I, I like the phrase identity action. And I think it's just something like you, you cause, I think A.A. Dogen says something like you cause, you first cause others uh, you first are in identity with others and then you cause others to be in identity with you. Or the reverse, you might say, first you cause others to be in identity with you and then you're in identity with others. But it's, I think of it as more than cooperation. It, it's something very profound of, um, I would say something closer to non-resistance. To another person and their situation. It's like a complete openness. A complete willingness to join with them in something. Some activity or some way of being. I remember hearing a story about uh, Suzuki Roshi going to the docks in Oakland or something, I think they had to pick up something, some dock, and, and um, there were a bunch of men working there in the warehouse, and they were all gathered around a TV set, and there was some, I don't know if it was a prize fight or some kind of very violent sporting event, and they were all yelling and screaming, and Suzuki Roshi got right in there with him in his robes, and he was yelling and screaming also just joining them completely in their activity. So I, I think that's a very profound expression of it. To me, that's profound. Somebody's ability to, to really deeply join another person, something like that. And um, I, as, as for my mother and the situation at night, some nights it's still very difficult. Last night I said to her, um, the night before last was kind of difficult. And then last night I said to her, so mom, remember, if if you need to use the toilet, then call me, call me. But if you wake up and you don't know where you are and you don't know what time of day it is and you don't know what's going on, because that's usually what happens, then just don't be afraid. Just remember that you're in your in your bed you're in your bed and, and remember what we talked about, you know, I was reminding her of the Beatles song, let it be when I find myself in times of trouble, mother Mary comes to me singing words of wisdom. Let it be, let it be. I was telling her about that song and she said, that's a really beautiful song. <laughs> I said, yes, it is. It's a really beautiful song. So, so far haven't gotten anybody in all night. I still think about it, but, I think I'm going to be thinking about it 
for quite a long time. There's something, um, there's many aspects of it that I have trouble with. Um, yeah, if, um, I, I would really have to set up the house where I could provide a comfortable enough situation for that person, whoever would come in, you know, to be here all night, a comfortable place for them to sleep in between getting woken up. I don't, I, I, um, you know, I guess once when I was very young, I worked in a restaurant, the six, the midnight to 6 a.m. shift, if you can believe it. I lived in New York City and when I was very young and I worked in a cafe, the Fien John Cafe from midnight to 6 a.m. Um, it was a crazy thing to do, but I did it for, but in general, I don't, I, I, being up all night is not good for us. And I don't, I don't wish that for someone for their job. But even though that may be much better than not having a job for them. But I, I kind of think about it that way. I kind of think, well, could I really make it comfortable enough for them? And then and then there are all of the issues of the the change, how that would change my relationship with my mother and all of that. So no, I haven't done anything about it. And I would miss those gems, those gems. One morning, a couple of months ago, at breakfast, she said to me, thank you for being sane. And she meant it. She meant it. All night when I would come in, she'd say, are you real? Is this real? Is this real? So she said, thank you for being sane. That's such a gift, such a gift. Another night I went in and she said, I want you out of here. You came here for a vacation. I want you out of the house. I want you to grow up. That was a great teaching. I felt devastated. I know my mother's 99. But I felt devastated. I felt, well, this is what she really thinks. You know? Then later in the afternoon, when I was putting her down for a nap, she said, you do know I love you. And I said, yeah, I do, Mom. But you know what you said last night? It really hurt. And then she said, well, I'm sorry, but you went off to Silverton, Silverton, Colorado, which was one of my, my youngest sisters did this. This was not me. She wasn't even thinking about me. So then I thought, oh, oh, everything's okay. And I thought, hmm, some priest you are. How do you think your sister would feel hearing that remark? You know, so it's an education. That's a long answer to your question, Kenny. 
so much. Wonderful to have you with us. You're very welcome. You're very welcome.